0: This is Sydney Menson from Inside Scientific, the online environment for life science webinars, virtual events, interviews, and educational content that helps you do your best work. Our Industry Insights sessions are an exploration of what is new and exciting in the life science industry. We hear directly from industry professionals about the latest and greatest developments that push the boundaries of what science can do when great minds tackle even greater problems. Today I'm speaking with Chris Rand, Sales and Marketing Manager at Aurora Scientific. Aurora Scientific supports the scientific community in its goal of research and discovery by providing precision instrumentation of the highest quality, design, construction, and functionality. Chris is going to give us some background information on Aurora Scientific and their journey within the preclinical research world and their advance into the neuroscience space. Let's find out what exciting new industry insights are coming from Aurora Scientific. Chris, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Thanks for having me. Excited to be here.
0: Yeah, excited to have you. Let's get started with our first question of what is Aurora Scientific's origin story?
1: So some people may not know this. Uh, Aurora started out as a custom engineering firm with David James back in 1982. So we have been around for quite a while. Um, Our now co-owner and president, Jeff Chandler, joined the firm a couple of years after that, um, during which time they developed several R&D instruments that were used by industry and government. Uh, including fast-response gas sensors and uh, pressure-reducing devices. Then in 1997, David and Jeff uh, formed an official partnership and changed the name of the company to what it is now, which is Aurora Scientific, Inc., Um, and it was also relocated to the town of Aurora in Ontario. Um, So really this idea of creating custom instruments that meet a specific need or or a niche need is at the heart of who we are, and it's something we feel sets us apart.
0: That's great. Yeah, I didn't know a lot of that, actually, so that was really interesting. what was the product that launched Aurora Scientific into the preclinical space as a big player? Um, can you tell us a bit about that product and how it has evolved over the years?
1: Absolutely. So shortly after Dave, uh, David James retired in 2008, ownership was transferred to uh, Jeff Chandler and Joan Chandler. Um, and at that same time, we had the opportunity to acquire what we now call our, our dual mode lever, um, as well as a line of force transducers. So for us, this was a a pivotal move to carve out a space in academia and become a big player in the field of physiology. Um, We had formulated our muscle physiology systems around this lever system, um, which provides the unique ability to characterize muscle function in a dynamic way. So what I mean by that is it it can assess contractility in a physiologically relevant way so that we can get a true sense of muscle quality um, when you're performing a lengthening contraction or when holding a constant load and measuring the power that the muscle produces these parameters become more translatable than focusing strictly on isometric uh, muscle function. Um, so ultimately we saw this as a valuable piece of the puzzle, uh, providing functional measurements independent of animal behavior. So by removing that behavioral component, the researcher can get to the crux of the issue, which is basically um, you know functional improvements in muscle and neuromuscular disease. Um, it also has the ability to measure uh, muscle in a longitudinal manner, um, uh, which allows researchers to assess those phenotypic changes as well as functional improvements over time in the same animal. Um, we thought at the time that physiologists would be kind of the only lane it would be really useful for, not knowing the kind of impact it could have uh, in neuroscience. Um, and you know, we've had the privilege of working with several researchers who've studied animal models of, of ALS or amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, um, spinal muscular atrophy, spinal cord injury, and other neurodegenerative disorders. Um, which is kind of funny because I did my grad studies in neurobiology and I always thought throughout grad studies that neuroscientists, you know, they focused heavily on the presynaptic side, you know, motor neurons, central nervous system control, um, never really caring about downstream effects. And conversely, you know, muscle physiologists were very focused on the postsynaptic side, the neuromuscular junction. So how the muscle works, what happens when it goes wrong. So this, this area or, you know, has really thrived in the last couple of years um, with this interplay of, you know, loss of nerve function or maintenance of uh, degradation of muscle function. So that's a field that's really grown for us over the years.
0: Wow. That's, that's fantastic. Um, muscle physiology is, is a big one, but, uh, as I mentioned before, you know, you're diving into the neuroscience space. So how did the idea for the 300 CI mechanical stimulator come about and what's their origin story for that product?
1: Good question. So, we've been lucky enough to to work with many great researchers over the years that see us as a a trusted partner in the field and have come to us with ideas for either a new product that they want to see developed or a new application for something that already exists. Um, In this case, we had been using our dual mode, uh, as I just talked about, almost exclusively as a way to measure muscle function, muscle contraction, or how much tension is produced onto the lever system. Um, However, a group of researchers in the field of nociception, which is a study of pain, um, Doctors Susan Carleton, Ratten-Bannock, and Jeffrey Bove, uh, among others, uh, had this idea of utilizing the power of the lever system to control and measure force and length uh, to reliably uh, apply a compressive load to a piece of tissue, something like a skin nerve prep, um, and measure the mechanical sensitivity and receptive fields of nociceptors. Um, so for this, we simply modified the lever arm to become what we call an indenter arm. And we designed these Teflon tips that you can put on the end uh, of a specific diameter. Um, and from that, basically, the, the indentor was born, so our 300 CI. Um, since then, there have been so many cool and unique uses of this mechanical stimulator, things from sensitivity of the meninges in the brain and models of migraines and traumatic brain injury, um, and even in vibrotactile sensing and Parkinson's disease. Um, so it's really, ex- really cool to see and, and, and see what people have ideas for us.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Um... Definitely anything that can help those you know, neuroscience, um, neurodegenerative disorders are, are super helpful because those are huge in the field and we still don't have a cure. So anything to help that is really exciting.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm a little bit biased because that's kind of what I did my studies in. So I've always yeah. been very, <laughs> very interested in this kind of field. So,
0: That's great. Um, can you describe how an outdoor gas dispersion sensor became a trusted tool in the olfaction community?
1: Um, So I mentioned earlier that Jeff and David had worked on those fast uh, response chemical sensors. So this was actually used to detect and map dispersion of gas released into the air from a central point. So if a gas cylinder was to release a a piece of gas, um, how does that plume created from that gas cylinder move through the environment? How fast does it reach a certain distance and what concentration does it get to uh, from the source? Um, So the sensor had been used for this application for years. Um, but once again, a group of researchers in the field of olfaction, uh, including Carde and NG Novani Galizia, came across the device and proposed a new application for it. Um, so in olfaction, temporal resolution is paramount, speed is everything, uh, as the nervous system processes incoming orders at an incredible rate. Um, so it's really important to be able to characterize the odor plume and animal senses to, to determine things like, when does it get there? How long does it take to reach a stable concentration? Um, what concentration does it reach? Um, and how long until it dissipates back to baseline? Um, all these questions are vital to olfaction researchers to validate their odor stimulus, the animal is receiving, and when. Um, even more, more so for those who, who study neural responses in the olfactory bulb, where you can line up the timing of when an odor stimulus reaches the animal and when the brain actually senses and processes that odorant. So this is what really has is, is cemented the mini-pit as a, an invaluable tool in olfaction labs around the world. Um, as the mini-pit grew in the field of olfaction, we realized that a lot of labs use it as a validation tool for an order delivery system called olfactometer. Um, these are often built in-house. They're really hard to maintain if you do build your own custom, um, and they're also difficult to find commercially. So we decided that in order to, to better serve these researchers and provide you know, an easy-to-use, reliable tool, we commercialized an olfactometer designed by Dimitri Rindberg, who's at uh, HHMI Janelia Farm. Um, and that was originally called the 206A. Um, we've since modified and improved upon this design uh, on our latest 220, um, and this can easily integrate with, with our mini as well as other existing equipment that researchers uh, are already implementing, um, things like functional MRIs, behavioral mazes, and, uh, and reward systems. So, we're very excited about that.
0: Wow, that's a lot. That's, that's great. Um, fantastic. Uh, I th- let's move on to the future directions of Aurora Scientific. You know, what's next? How, how do you see the company growing in the next few years?
1: I think for Aurora, we've always taken pride in being you know, a source of knowledge or a source of education uh, that people can trust and, and partner with. Um, so I think we'll continue to grow in that regard by providing more resources, things like virtual demos and webinars that we've been doing over the past several years. And of course, more learning opportunities for our clients to help them be successful. Um, we've grown quite significantly over the last decade or so. We have offices now in Dublin and, and Hong Kong and now 17 staff at, uh, at the head office here in Aurora. I um, can't predict what the future holds, nobody really can, but ultimately we're here to, to support scientific discovery and, and be a partner in the process. Um, so by continuing to listen to the clients and, and addressing their needs, we can continue to grow into, like we've shown, new application areas. Um, take an idea or a roadblock someone is having and and turn it into a beneficial tool for some researchers.
0: That's exciting. I'm looking forward to seeing what what the future holds for you guys. (laughs) As am I. Great. Thank you so much, Chris, for your time and your insights. It was a pleasure to have you with us.
1: My pleasure. Thank you very much.
0: Hope you enjoyed this episode of Industry Insights and that you'll tune in to future episodes where industry professionals, just like you, answer questions about their work and how their companies share science. Don't forget to subscribe.